Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. The text for our Gospel Proclamation comes from the word to the church in Galatia in chapter 5, verses 1 and 13 through 15. For freedom of Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Dying to ourselves in love for one another. Freedom means different things to different people. And when you're talking about freedom, it's probably important to understand what people's definitions of freedom are. Because all of us have different understandings of what freedom means, depending on our personal circumstances. Not long ago, an American reporter was interviewing a German citizen about their freedom of speech in Germany. The German insisted they had freedom of speech. But the reporter asked if they could say homosexual activity is a sin. And she replied, no, you can't say that. That's hate speech. So the reporter followed up on that question by saying, then you don't have freedom of speech because your government punishes you for saying certain things. The confusion on her face was clear because she could not understand why that should be considered free speech. So there are differences, and I would like to lay out a few common definitions of freedom. First, there is freedom from fear. In other words, if something scares you, whether it's crime, inflation, war, natural disasters, and the like, this kind of freedom protects you against these potential problems. Maybe through insurance, government intervention, or other means to personally protect yourself individually in these situations. In any case, you don't feel free unless you're no longer afraid. Then there's the freedom of choice, whether that's medical services, consumer goods, places to live, or who you can associate with. Unless you get to choose these things without restriction, you may not feel free. Obviously, a big one is freedom of speech, like I alluded to earlier. Now, this one is tricky, but we have the help of the Constitution of the United States that uniquely protects our freedom of speech in the preamble and the First Amendment. In the preamble, it tells us that liberty will be promoted. Then the First Amendment says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people to peaceably assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. The Fourth Amendment addresses our security and protects our right to be secure in our person, house, papers, and effects. And the 14th Amendment says the state cannot deprive us of life, liberty, or property without due process. 
So these are pretty good definitions, which are not just a good idea in our country, but the law. But people will give up these freedoms for security against entities other than the government, like the Constitution says. Some will give up freedom of association to keep peace in the family. I had one family in Middleburg that would not attend the Lutheran church to worship until after the mother-in-law was dead. She just made life too miserable to worship where they really wanted to. But once she died, they were finally free to go to our Lutheran church instead of the Catholic church, like the old battle axe insisted. Others were willing to give up freedom of choice or quality of life if some government program will pay for it. Others are even willing to sacrifice freedom of speech if it avoids conflict and hatred towards one another. There are certainly benefits and consequences all at the same time when we willingly surrender our freedom. The Apostle Paul wants you keenly aware of what you're sacrificing when you reject the freedom won for you by Christ in our epistle lesson today. Christ has set us free, he says. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery, he continues. When Christ died to free us, it was for much more than a temporal governance made by men to protect life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, don't get me wrong. I am all for our Constitution and sworn oath to protect and defend it against all enemies, foreign and domestic. But should it all go away like so many kingdoms have in the history of the world, I know the true freedom is found in Christ. George Bernard Shaw once said, Liberty comes with responsibility. That's why men dread it. And Antoine Wilson added, With great freedom comes great responsibility. Someone said once, Well, it doesn't work the other way around. And I think this is the very crux of what Paul is telling us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit today. Beware that you don't go back to the sinful desires of the flesh from whence you were saved. All the temptation to do so is great because the path that leads to destruction is indeed wide and smooth and so easily trod upon by our old sinful Adams and Eves. Yes, it seems the satisfactions of the world are as good, if not better, than life in Christ. But just like crack cocaine, pornography, and alcohol abuse, sin artificially ramps up the dopamine, and then that short path to pleasure is an even shorter path to spiritual self-destruction. We are tempted so because we love ourselves more than we love God, who loved us enough to die for us, making us his own. So Paul reminds us, encourages us to replace the temptation to go back to the slavery of sinful love of self with loving our neighbors as ourself. Now the command to love is an incredible concept in scripture. First, I think we can all agree, we should love one another. I know my premarital couples think so. In fact, they frequently think that their romantic love for one another will conquer all potential obstacles they might face in the future. 
that's when it's the pastor's job to lovingly give them a reality check on the limits of that type of love. Like the first time they have a real argument or how to come back to one another. The first time a birthday or anniversary is, albeit innocently, but totally forgotten. When the reality sinks in that you have to share a bathroom with this person for the rest of your life. Back in Middleburg, we had dear friends in the congregation that had their own bathrooms on their own floors of the house. Problem solved, I guess. But I do appreciate that these young couples see the importance of a loving relationship. For sure, that means affection, holding hands, and even romance. But sometimes it just means hollering from the doorway to the garage. If you're not in the car in five minutes, I'm leaving without you. Or picking up their dirty clothes for the hundredth time and putting them in the hamper yourself. Making sure the car is gassed up and the oil changed. Or just getting their coffee ready in the morning or dinner fixed at night. It's the kind of love that gets little attention. Hardly any thanks, but needs to be done. In few words, I call it servant love. When we look at this kind of love carefully, we see many examples that extend beyond marriage for the Christian that scripture clarifies what the divine nature of this love is that comes from Christ alone. Like Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And Philippians 2.13, For it is God who works in you, both to will and work for his good pleasure. And finally, John 3.21, Whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is truth, that all of us who are in Christ have been given this capacity to love, just as Christ first loved us. So this is love. We are love because we're in the most loving one of all, Christ Jesus. But what about the days when we don't love when we snip and snap at each other and devour one another like agitated cats and dogs who simply can't take one more kick or casting out. When we're faced with the choice to do the vengeful thing rather than the loving thing. This is when we're reminded, reminded that even if we don't want to love one another, as Leviticus 19.18 says, we are commanded to love our neighbor as ourselves. Oh, how many times have we seen the pain of gossip, division, backbiting, and anger in the church? Hurting people hurt people, we say. And so we see them as the ones we are indeed commanded to love, even when we're so tempted to kill. I've seen my fair share of loving congregations. And I've seen those very same congregations descend into hatred overnight because of a careless action word or unsaid encouragement. And I've seen those very same people crushed by one another's sin, come back together in confession, repentance, and forgiveness. This is the unique gift we have to offer the world. We love because Christ Jesus first loved us when we were indeed the unlovable ones. 
And he proved it by taking our hatred for him and replacing our sinful love of ourselves with true godly love for one another. Even when we sin again and again. Because we know he died for us. Because of his love for us. And even enables us to die to ourselves and love for one another, which always glorifies him. Amen. Now may that peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus always. Amen.